Hello, welcome to Second Impressions, the Pride and Prejudice podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Tom. And we're going through Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice chapter by chapter. And today we are doing the final chapter of Volume 2, Chapter 19. Uh, But Tom, why don't you give us a quick recap on what happened in Chapter 18? Okay, so as we remember, the soldiers are leaving Meryton. Kitty, Lydia, Mrs. Bennet, all very upset about this. But fortunately for Lydia, Mrs. Forrester, the wife of Colonel Forrester, invites her to come along with them to Brighton, where all the soldiers are going, to this big this big encampment of soldiers. Lydia's super excited. Mrs. Bennet's really excited for her. Kitty is beyond her, beside herself with depression that she doesn't get to go. <laughs> Elizabeth thinks this is a very bad idea, this trip for Lydia, and she tries to warn Mr. Bennet not to let her go because she's going to expose the whole family to ridicule and like public censure if Mm -hmm. we allow Lydia to go and like live it up in Brighton. She's gonna flirt the family to death. (laughs) And Mr. Bennett's basically like, nah, you know, Lydia's gotta do what she wants to do and she's not gonna bother me unless I let her go, so it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then later in the chapter, Mr. Wickham and some other officers come over to Longbourn on their last night in town and have dinner. Wickham tries to flirt up Elizabeth a little bit more, but she's not having it. She brings up Darcy and how she has a different opinion of him now. And then Wickham leaves, and the soldiers leave, and Lydia's gone too. She's gone up to Brighton. Yep. Okay. All right, Grace, you want to give us a little summary of this chapter, and then we'll get into it? Sure. So, chapter 19, we get a little bit of a backstory of the of Mr. and Mrs. Bennett and kind of like how kind of how they met and why it is that they're married and things like that. Um, and then um, we find out that there is going to be a slight change of plans to Elizabeth's original um, anticipated lakes trip. She thought she was going to go to the lakes with the gardeners, but because Mr. Gardner got held up on his some some sort of business, they have to sort of cut the trip a little short. And so instead of going to the lakes, um, they've decided to go to Derbyshire. And who do we know lives in Derbyshire? One, one Mr. Darcy. That's right. Uh, or that's where Pemberley is. That's, is yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Elizabeth is tr- trying to come up with reasons not to go there, but she really can't. Um, so the gardeners come to Longbourn to stay one night. And to drop off all of their rugrats, and Jane is going to basically babysit them while Elizabeth goes with the gardeners on vacation. Um, and yeah, as, so yeah, as they wind up going to Derbyshire, they um, find out that Pemberley is currently unoccupied, that the master of the house is not there right now, which gives Elizabeth a little bit of um, relief. And now she is also a little bit curious to see what Pemberley is like. And one thing to note is that, you know, with all of these great noble houses, they are actually, they're open to tourists. And so the gardeners are super curious to see what Pemberley's like. And Elizabeth is equally curious. And we end the chapter with the anticipation of Elizabeth going to visit Pemberley. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. And that's the end of volume two. What a cliffhanger. Let's get into it. Okay. I'll start us off here. So... Chapter 19. Had Elizabeth's opinion been all drawn from her own family, she could not have formed a very pleasing picture of conjugal felicity or domestic comfort. Hmm. Uh, well, okay, first of all, 
Grace, what is uh, what does conjugal mean? Like marriage. Right? Yeah, yeah. Of real of relating to marriage. Mm-hmm. So had Elizabeth's opinion been all drawn from her own family, she could not have formed a very pleasing picture, a very pleasing opinion of what mar- happiness in marriage or domestic comfort looks like, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah go or ahead. What we say. Well, I was just going to, like, why is that? Oh, well, because, I mean, just look at her father and mother and their relationship. His Her father has absolutely no respect for her mother, and her mother is completely oblivious to the fact that he puts her down every chance he gets, or maybe she chooses to ignore it. So, like, basically, if Elizabeth's point of reference to what a happy marriage looks like is her own parents then it would not be a very pleasing picture of a quote-unquote happy marriage yeah if you were to ask like elizabeth based on your parents marriage what what is your opinion of the marriage state in general Mm. she probably couldn't have given a very a very good answer right she wouldn't have had a very high opinion this is also the first time we realize i mean maybe we could have conjectured but this is the first time we see that elizabeth is well aware that this is not a good relationship between his mom, between her mom and dad. Yeah, well, fortunately, this is a hypothetical sentence. Had Elizabeth's <laughs> opinion been all drawn from her own family, meaning Elizabeth's opinion of conjugal felicity and domestic comfort is not only... she Her opinion does not derive solely from Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if it did, then she probably would never want to get married. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. And this is... We'll talk about this more, but this is kind of, this paragraph is almost like a break in the action to be like, let's review what's going on here and like <laughs> look at the Bennett marriage a little closer. Mm. Okay, but it goes on to say, so the reason Elizabeth would not have been able to form a very pleasing picture of conjugal felicity or domestic comfort based on her own family is because of this. Her father, Mr. Bennett, Captivated by youth and beauty, and that appearance of good humor, which youth and beauty generally give, (laughs) had married a woman whose weak understanding and illiberal mind had very early in their marriage put an end to all real affection for her. Yikes. So, (laughs) captivated by youth and beauty, and that appearance of good humor, which youth and beauty generally give, Mm -hmm. who does that remind us of? Hmm... Lydia? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so... And the appearance of good humor. The appearance yeah. of good Not humor. Not real good humor, yeah. Yeah, so Mr. Bennett, basically captivated by Mrs. Bennett's good humor, married her, mm-hmm. um, and realized that her... Um, and then her weak understanding and illiberal mind, which kind of just means uneducated, not very... Um, not very, um, what's the word? Classy, maybe? I I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like, generally her lack of innate intelligence and her lack <laughs> of education, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So him quickly realizing this um, had very early in their marriage put an end to all real affection for her. Yes. So, like, let's go back all these years to when Mr. and Mrs. Bennett were young. Yeah, we're going to flashback to 25 years ago or so. Mrs. Bennett, like Lydia, high-spirited, good-looking young woman and has, like, loves fun and jokes, right? And mm-hmm. I can see Mr. Bennett being like, oh, you know, we'd get along, right? I like fun and jokes, too, right? Mm-hmm. And then he marries her and realizes, uh-oh, you know... I've married a total airhead, right? <laughs> yeah, I've made a huge mistake. Uh, I've made a huge mistake, yeah. <laughs> and it's only the appearance of good humor. Like, I don't think Mrs. Bennett is actually good-humored. 
You're right. All you needed, all she needed, was a few disappointments in her life to reveal that she <laughs> just wants to complain and feel sorry for herself.、Mm. And yeah, this is this is pretty harsh. So maybe like a year or two into their marriage, Mr. Bennett's like,、uh, I don't really love you. I have no <laughs> real affection for you, Mrs. Bennett. Yeah, which actually kind of lines up with my theory about how Mr. Bennett maybe puts some effort into raising his first two daughters, like early on in their marriage. But then upon realizing that he married an airhead. And、um, maybe even like kept having daughters and not not a single son. He just sort of like gave up on his marriage and his domestic felicity. Ah,、uh, yeah. Well, well. Okay, let's keep going here. Okay.、Ooh. Respect, esteem, and confidence had vanished forever. Mr. Bennett's respect, esteem, and confidence in Mrs. Bennett had vanished forever. Gone. Never going to come <laughs> back.、Mm-mm. And all Mr. Bennett's views of domestic happiness were overthrown. Mr. Bennett was not of a disposition to seek comfort for the disappointment which his own imprudence had brought on, in any of those pleasures which too often console the unfortunate for their volley or vice. Vice, sorry.、Uh, okay, Mr. Bennett was not one of the disposition to seek comfort for the disappointment which his own imprudence had brought on, in any of those pleasures which too often console the unfortunate for their folly or their vice. What is this saying, Grace? So. Yes, Mr. Bennett, deeply disappointed in his choice of wife and how his life sort of un- unfolded, but he's not the kind of person who、um, tries to console himself、mm-hmm. in these. What are these called? In these <laughs> vices. Well, no, the pleasures that the unfortunate、oh, like、yeah. look to console themselves with because of their folly and vice. Yeah,、right? yeah. So what? What is? What is that? What are these pleasures? What are some of these pleasures? Like drinking, gambling, philandering,、mm-hmm. uh, just like the general <laughs> your general vices. Yeah. So Mr. Bennett, even though he's extremely disappointed in his marriage, is not one of those people who's gonna like. Console himself for making bad decisions in his life by, you know, drinking a lot or gambling away his fortune or、mm. sleeping around. I guess that's the silver lining for Mr. Bennett is that, like, yes, he is not a good father. He is not a good wife. Or sorry, he's not a good father. He's not a good husband. But at least he's not a drunk. He's totally disappointed <laughs> in his life. But yeah, he's not gonna like. Yeah, he's not gonna become a drug addict. He's、yeah. not gonna. I don't know. He's gonna maintain like he. I think what Mr. Bennett really wants, and we'll talk about this more, is just like a comfortable life.、Mm-hmm. And those kind of vices don't really, you know, line up with that.、Uh-huh, facilitate that.、Mm. It says Mr. Bennett was fond of the country and of books, and from these tastes had arisen his principal enjoyments.、Mm. So to console himself for the. Terrible life decisions he's made. <laughs> Mr. Bennett doesn't turn to booze or sex. Instead, he turns to the country and books. <laughs> Those who console him, right?、Mm. I'm surprised that. It, well, not surprised because they do technically live in the country. But it's interesting that they include that he is fond of the country, even though we've never really seen him leave the house. Like he's not. He's not. He's not going on walks. He's not really going on. Adventures. He's just in his library all day.、Uh-huh. I think he was fond of the quiet and the solitude of the country, right?、Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so interesting. From these tastes had arisen his principal enjoyments, meaning he found no enjoyments in his marriage or very little. They were not his principal enjoyments. <laughs>、uh, to his wife, Mr. Bennett was very little otherwise indebted than as her ignorance and folly had contributed to his amusement. <laughs> so this this sentence is a little averted. I think it might be more helpful to think of it as. Mis- like, yeah. No, what were you gonna say? 
the well okay the only thing that mr bennett had to you know be indebted to his wife for was that he could laugh at how ignorant and full of a fool like how ignorant and foolish she is right yeah. uh-huh. i think yeah it's sort of like a, a a further elaboration of the previous sentence like the his fondness for country the country and of books was were his principal enjoyments and so because those were his principal enjoyments um he didn't really owe any of his happiness to his wife other than occasionally making fun of her the only enjoyment his mrs bennett gives mr bennett is the ability for him to laugh at how foolish and ignorant she is yes. but that's still comparatively a minor enjoyment to what yeah. are mr bennett's true great enjoyments which are the books and country books in the country mm. so it's not even that great of an enjoyment to mr bennett to laugh at mrs bennett it's right. just the only enjoyment that she gives him right yeah yeah and it's not even that much enjoyment uh-huh this is not the sort of happiness which a man would in general wish to owe to his wife. <laughs> what is that saying? Like, you barely, the only thing you make me happy, that make that, the only thing you do that makes me happy, and only barely makes me happy, is that sometimes I can laugh at you, at your stupidity. Most men in general would not want that. That's what the <laughs> sentence is saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But where the other powers of entertainment are wanting, the true philosopher will derive benefit from such as are given such powers of entertainment. Mm-hmm. So where other powers, like where, uh, you know, when you're lacking the ability to find entertainment elsewhere, right? That's mm-hmm. what wanting means, lacking. Mm-hmm. The true philosopher <laughs> will derive benefit from such sources of entertainment as he can find, right? Yeah, the, He's true, gonna, yeah. Yeah. the true philosopher will be able to, um, like, uh, you know, make the best of the situation. Make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, exactly. Even though it's not... <laughs> most men wouldn't want to hate their wife and only be able to laugh at her. Like, Mr. Bennett's going to make the best of his situation, right? Yeah. He's going to enjoy it as the best as he can. Yeah. Mr. Bennett married a lemon, and but a true philosopher would, would be able to make lemonade out of it. And I think it's very fair to say that Mr. Bennett is a philosopher. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a joke, of course. A true philosopher, like it's such a, it's such a, it's such an aggrandized and hoity-toity, you know, vocabulary to call Mr. Bennett a true philosopher. But, uh-huh. but yeah, like to to some extent, he is exercising what a true philosopher does, which is to um, derive benefit from such as are given. The joke is, is that like you were saying that it sounds like a philosopher would be like, you know, thinking up great things for life. And what Mr. Bennett philosophizes on is laughing at his wife and like (laughs) taking long walks. Yeah. That's Uh the, yeah, that's the irony of it is that like, yeah, like to, like what you said, Mr. Bennett's, um, Mr. Bennett's ability, like, yeah, like the philosopher side of him is finding ways to, make fun of his wife i also think at that time especially the word philosopher kind of had the connotations of someone who is detached from the world you know mm. someone who you know while maybe smart doesn't like actively participate in the real world right right okay so this is like austin's little diagnosis of what's wrong with the bennett marriage mm-hmm. right that mm. mr bennett had made a foolish match and now they have nothing they can like haven't now there's nothing in common between these two people 
And the only way Mr. Bennett can console himself is in laughing at his wife and pretending she doesn't exist. Like, this is sort of treated as a joke, but it also demonstrates the danger of marrying badly. Like, the, like you know, there's no, there's no, you can't do over your marriage. It's a one and done situation. If you pick the wrong person to marry, you got to live with that for the rest of your life. And why do you think Austin is at this moment now, like two thirds of the way through the book, mm. saying like, here, here's what's wrong with the Bennett marriage. Here's their history. Well, well, now that we I think now that we know um, just how extensively this bad marriage has negatively affected the daughters, mm -hmm. I think now is a good time to kind of do a postmortem of the marriage and yeah, like, cause now we've seen we've seen two failed proposals from Jane and well, I guess three from Jane and Elizabeth, um, and I don't know. I guess now is as good a time as any to sort of give a little give a little context to um, why to to like how this ridiculous how this family came to become so ridiculous yeah i think context is the important word there because we're coming like in the last chapter we probably saw one of mr bennett's low points if not his lowest point and just being like lydia's gonna do what she's gonna do and i don't care right yeah i think austin is like even she knows that readers that's gonna be kind of upsetting to some readers so mm. she's like here's more context. This is specifically context on Mr. Bennett, too. Yeah. Like, he's a deeply disappointed man. And not only can he not find any true, like, enjoyment or pleasure in his marriage, but, like, in his family in general. I think he's kind of just, like, given up on it, right? Mm -hmm. It reminds me a lot of um, the introduction of Mr. Collins. Like, we see him... We see him in action at Longbourn being totally ridiculous. And then I think it's the next chapter that we sort of get a brief, a brief history of mr collins and how how the context of his upbringing and his education led him to be the way he is like now uh-huh and it's an interesting narrative move on austin's part like why not give us why not put this history in the very first paragraph of the book right when we meet the bennett's but mm. instead she lets us see the bennett's interacting for i like 150 pages first and then is like here's their history yeah mm -hmm. uh okay but i think if when we read this second paragraph, we'll see particularly we'll we'll get a better idea of why this paragraph is here. Do you want to read that for us, Grace? Elizabeth, however, had never been blind to the impropriety of her father's behavior as a husband. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth has always known that the way that her her dad treats her mom is not good. Which is that's a a big check in Elizabeth's column. The fact mm. that she can perceive this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like she. And it's not even because, like, Elizabeth has changed because of the the letter that Darcy wrote to her and their, you know, big fight and their big proposal slash fight. But this is saying Elizabeth has always known that the way that Mr. Bennett treats Mrs. Bennett is not proper. That's not the way a marriage should be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, she's always known this. And that takes a lot of intelligence for, like, someone to be able, like, that's, this has been... In Elizabeth's home her whole life. This has been her prime example and her earliest example of a marriage. And right. the fact that she can understand that there's something fundamentally wrong with it, I think, shows uh, her intelligence. Mm -hmm. She had always seen it with pain, but respecting his abilities mm -hmm. and grateful for his affectionate treatment of herself, mm -hmm. she endeavored to forget what she could not overlook. 
and to banish from her thoughts that continual breach of conjugal obligation and decorum, which, in exposing his wife to the contempt of her own children, was so highly reprehensible. All right, there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. it's... Okay, yeah, so... Let's, Elizabeth, yeah, go ahead. Well, let's just break it down, uh -huh. yeah. She had always seen it with pain. She'd seen her father basically make a mockery of um, Mrs. Bennet with pain. She's yeah. not happy about her. Uh -huh. she's, not, she's not on team... She's not on her father's side and, like, openly mocking Mrs. Bennet. Yeah. But respecting his abilities, his... And, in, essentially, like, his intelligence. I think so. I think that's what abilities means. Yeah. Uh -huh. And grateful for his affectionate treatment of herself. Grateful for the fact that he prefers her. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, like, he... Um, like, Mr. Bennet basically is cosigns Elizabeth, and pretty much Elizabeth only, out of all of the, the daughters. Really? He doesn't care that much about Jane. Yeah. Um, she endeavored to forget what she could not overlook. So she's not, she's not overlooked. She's not just like turning a blind eye to what Mr. Bennett, how Mr. Bennett treats Mrs. Bennett, but she's going to try to, um, just forget it. She's going to try to, like some, some of his treatment of her is so glaring that she can't help but overlook it. Mm. But of the smaller things, Elizabeth had always just been of the mindset, I'm going to pretend that they're not there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And to banish from her thoughts, to banish from her thoughts mm -hmm. that continual breach of conjugal obligation and decorum like mar marital duty right yeah uh -huh. the breach of this marital marital duty which in exposing his wife to the contempt of her own children was so highly reprehensible so the breach in continu the continual breach of conjugal obligation decorum is that mr bennett is constantly exposing his wife to the contempt of her own children mm -hmm. that is what is so reprehensible yeah and Elizabeth, that's why this, among all else, Elizabeth has tried to ignore because it's extremely painful and also is not a, that's like a terrible move on Mr. Bennett's part. Yeah. There's yeah. a, yeah. You're not, you're not honoring your spouse by doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there's something like so fundamentally wrong with mocking your spouse to the children you have with that person. Yeah. Right? You're essentially, uh -huh. Yeah. You're pitting, you're, you're pitting the child's own um parent against them yeah and like making a mockery of them mm -hmm. uh i mean that's be bad like even if you weren't married to that person even if you were like telling a child like making fun of a child's parents to their face <laughs> right it yeah. just makes it that much worse that it's one parent mocking another behind that parent's back to their child right right this is clearly not a team effort in raising children in their children well it's just like mr bennett is like so checked out of this marriage. Right. She is hardly even his wife, really. Mm. But Elizabeth had never felt so strongly as now the disadvantages which must attend the children of so unsuitable a marriage, nor ever been so fully aware of the evils arising from so ill-judged a direction of talents. Talents, which rightly used, might have at might at least have preserved the respectability of his daughters, even if incapable of enlarging the mind of his wife. Yeah, okay, so we'll break this down, but I think this is generally the reason why we're, we're taking this review of the Bennett's marriage here. It's because now Elizabeth has seen firsthand the damage Mr. Bennett's, like, indifference is doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Elizabeth has always known that it's not, that how Mr. Bennett treats Mrs. Bennett is not, the like, the right way to go about uh, marriage. But now it's sort of like, 
now she sees the actual damage that it can do to the children, to mm. the, the the daughters. Right, yeah. This is, Elizabeth's always been like, yeah, they have an unsuitable marriage. Like, it's not a great match. But, you know, I love Mr. Bennett, and he's a smart guy. But now she's like, uh-oh, like, there's real dangers attached to an unsuitable marriage, and it's that you're going to harm your children. You're basically, like, creating the groundwork for ruining your future children's <laughs> lives, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and now she feels strong. She feels strongly than ever, uh, or is f- is more fully aware than ever of the evils arising from from um, misdirecting Mr. Bennett's of Mr. Bennett misdirecting his talents, his intelligence, mm-hmm. um, which he could have used in raising his children, and instead he chooses to use those talents in like making fun of his wife. So part A of what is ruining the Bennett children's lives lives is that mr and mrs bennett have a fundamentally unsuitable match right Mm. part b is that mr bennett though smart has just chosen to let his family go to hell right Mm -hmm. where if he did if he did use his intelligence wisely even if he has an unsuitable marriage he might have been able to preserve like the respectability of his daughters right yeah even if he couldn't use those that intelligence to make his own wife a little bit more intelligent so this is mostly mr bennett's fault it's Mm -hmm. like two-thirds his fault like it's one-third mrs bennett's fault for being part of an ill-suited match but it's two-thirds mr bennett's part for making that match and also not using his natural intelligence to do anything to help his daughters yeah okay when elizabeth had rejoiced over wickham's departure she found little other cause for satisfaction in the loss of the regimen it says when Elizabeth had rejoiced, but I think you could also think about this as, like, while. Mm. While Elizabeth had rejoiced over Wickham's departure, she found little other cause for satisfaction in the loss of the regiment and the loss of the uh, army regiment. Mm. Their parties abroad were less varied than before. The Bennett's parties, mm. Elizabeth's parties abroad, were less varied than before. Uh, you know, there was less uh, variation in them. They're probably just going to, like, the Lucases now, right? <laughs> yeah. And at home, Elizabeth had a mother and sister whose constant repinings at the dullness of everything around them threw a real gloom over their domestic circle. We can guess which sister, singular, um, is helping the mother throw a gloom over the whole house. Yeah, so even though Elizabeth has got rid of Wickham, you know, the army leaving has brought some like real disadvantages to her life yeah one is that their parties are less varied than before there's fewer people to visit with and talk to Mm -hmm. two is that mrs bennett and kitty are now just like complaining about everything around them their constant repinings of the dullness of everything around them (laughs) and hearing so much complaining yeah that's gonna inevitably throw a real gloom over their domestic circle (laughs) right (laughs) that's gonna bring down anyone's mood to have someone like even if it's ridiculous to have someone complaining about everything yeah basically complaining about how bored they are like imagine hearing like every single day hearing your sister and mother complain about how bored they are yeah the dullness of everything Mm -hmm. and the subtext being like why can't the officer still be here you know (laughs) like this breakfast isn't an officer (laughs) this glass of wine isn't an officer (laughs) (laughs) you're not an officer mr bennett (laughs) and though kitty might in time regain her natural degree of sense since the disturbers of her brain were removed. Mm. Who are the disturbers of her brain? The officers? I think so. And Lydia, kind and of. Lydia, but yeah. I think mostly the officers. 
So even though Kitty might, in time, get back a natu- her natural degree of sense, that's not a lot of sense, like <laughs> the iota of sense that she normally has, right? <laughs> even though Kitty might get that in time, because the disturbers of her brain, the soldiers, are now gone, Kitty's, or Elizabeth's other sister, Lydia, from whose disposition greater evils might be apprehended, was likely to be hardened in all her folly and assurance by a situation of such double danger as a watering place and a camp. Mm. Okay. Well, what's this saying? Okay, so... Hold on. Uh, through Yeah. And though Kitty might in time regain her natural degree of sense, her one brain cell, uh, she, she recovered her one brain cell. Though that might come back in time, <laughs> because the officers are gone now, Yeah, right? because the uh-huh. officers and her very uh, impressionable sister is gone. Her other sister, Lydia... Yeah, Elizabeth's other sister. Yeah, uh-huh. from whose disposition greater evil might be, be apprehended, was likely to be hardened. Um, so Lydia's disposition is likely to be hardened mm-hmm. in all her in all her folly and assurance. Because remember, she is also one of her big sins is assurance. Yeah, is yeah. that she is just so confident in everything she does. By a situation of double danger, as a watering place. And a camp. Yeah, a watering place is like a tourist spot, you know, mm-hmm. it, because it's by the water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, even though Kitty, who has a, a natural degree of sense, who naturally has a little bit of sense, even though she might recover, Lydia, whose disposition, you know, her natural disposition portends greater evil anyway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is much more troublesome than Kitty to begin with, mm-hmm. was most likely to be hardened in all her folly and assurance. Like, she... <laughs> The cast will be set forever now. Mm. Lydia will be thoroughly ridiculous and frivolous for the rest of her life by being now in a situation of such double danger as a tourist spot and a camp for soldiers. Yep. So it's like maybe, maybe Kitty, there's still hope for Kitty in regaining her like love her like her usual level of common sense Mm -hmm. because now the soldiers are gone and now Lydia's gone. Lydia, who is the more dangerous of the two, who has, is the more wild of the two, right. is now... Right, has no sense to begin with. <laughs> yeah, is now put in a position where her ridiculousness will only be heightened because she is at a spa or a resort mm-hmm. and at a military camp. Yeah. Well, both things which will only aggrandize her silliness. Uh-huh. And where, like, vice and folly <laughs> tend to congregate is <laughs> resort towns and soldier camps, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, yeah. So here's Kitty... She's got a natural degree of sense, and since she's at home away from the officers, she might get that back. Mm. And here's Lydia, who has no sense, (laughs) and now she's in a town full of officers that's also a tourist spot. She is just going to become, like, she'll be, it'll be impossible to ever recover her again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's, and not to mention, she's wholly unreachable. She's away from the family. She has no real, um, no real guardian outside of Mrs. Forster, who is, like, not... Who barely constitutes as a guardian. Mm -hmm. Upon the whole, therefore, Elizabeth found what she has sometimes, what has been sometimes found before. Elizabeth found what generally has been sometimes found before. That an event to which she had looked forward with impatient desire did not in taking place bring all the satisfaction she had promised herself. So this is like a a more, uh, a universal thing that Mm -hmm. Elizabeth has discovered upon upon what okay so upon the whole situation elizabeth found what many other people have found before basically right Mm -hmm. then an event to which she had been looking forward to with impatient desire and what's that event 
the I think it's the soldiers leaving. I think so. I think you're right. And also now looking at the beginning of this paragraph, talking about Wickham's departure, mm. I think that's particularly it's soldiers and Wickham are gone now. Yeah, and soldiers and specifically Wickham. This is the event Elizabeth has been looking forward to with impatient desire. However, when it actually happened, it did not bring all the satisfaction Elizabeth was hoping it would bring. Right. Yep. And that's something we understand is expectations versus reality. Mm. You expect something. You you are waiting for something to happen, and once it does happen, you are disappointed that it did not bring you all of the things that you thought it was going to bring to you. Exactly. Yeah, Austin's like, this is a common phenomenon. So she's like, Elizabeth has discovered this thing that many other people have discovered, <laughs> which is <laughs> the fulfillment of your hopes does not always bring you as much joy as you thought it would. Mm. It was consequently necessary to name some other period for the commencement of actual felicity. What does that mean? So now that she's like, mm, okay, well, this is not as great as I thought it was going to be. Now I got to look forward to something else that'll bring me joy. Right. I got to think of something else to look forward to. And that's when I'm actually going to be happy. Once that <laughs> happens, right? To have some other point on which her wishes and hopes might be fixed. And by again, enjoying the pleasure of anticipation, console herself for the present and prepare for another disappointment. <laughs> All right, I'll just read that as a whole. It was consequently necessary to name some other period for the commencement of actual felicity, to have some other point on which her wishes and hopes might be fixed, and by again enjoying the pleasure of anticipation, console herself for the present, and prepare for another disappointment. So now it's sort of like, all right, now I'm going to move on to something else that'll bring me joy. But now I have the, I have the, um, the experience of being disappointed by my, exp my, um, uh, my, like, your unreachable expectations. So now at least I will, like, I will console myself for being a little bit disappointed and I, I will prepare myself for another disappointment. Right. I'm going to give myself something to look forward to and that's going to console myself for my present disappointment. And it's also going to give me, like, strength for when I'll inevitably be disappointed by my next point of anticipation, right? <laughs> and that what she's now going to look forward to is this. Her tour to the lakes was now the object of her happiest thoughts. It was her best consolation for all the uncomfortable hours which the discontentedness of her mother and Kitty made inevitable. <laughs> all right, so now she's going to look forward to her trip with the gardeners to the Lake District, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the best consolation for being around Kitty and Mrs. Bennett in such, like, a terrible state. <laughs> and could Elizabeth have included Jane in the scheme, every part of it would, been, would have been perfect. Yep. And so she is looking forward to going to the lakes... And the only thing that could make it, um, per make this trip perfect mm -hmm. is if, um, Jane could come too. Yes, yeah. And what does Elizabeth say? Or what does she think next? But it is fortunate, it is fortunate, thought mm -hmm. she, that I have something to wish for. Were the whole arrangement complete, my disappointment would be certain. But here, by carrying with me one ceaseless source of regret in my sister's absence, I may reasonably hope to have all my expectations of pleasure realized. A scheme of which every part promises delight can never be successful. And general disappointment is only warded off by the defense of some little particular vexation. Peculiar. Oh, sorry. Peculiar. Yeah, you could also say particular. But yeah, it, yeah. Means, it essentially means particular. Um, I feel like this is a window into Elizabeth's current, like, mind state or, like, her current mood. And how do you think Elizabeth is feeling? I think she's more cautious now than ever yeah she's cautious skeptical and not happy i feel like <laughs> yeah she's basically like no <laughs> 
any plan that seems perfect is never going to happen. Like, perfection is impossible. Yeah. Uh-huh. I made that mistake when I was anticipating Bingley proposing to Jane, and look how disappointed I ended up. Right. That was, I think that was her first big, um, first big stroke to her, like, um, like, putting way, too, way like, setting way too high expectations for Joy. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another reason that we start off this chapter with this description of the Bennett marriage, is that is, like, here are even more conditions to be, like, situations inevitably are going to disappoint you, right? <laughs> Mrs. B- uh, Mr. Bennett went through the same journey. He was yeah. like, I thought Mrs. Bennett was fun and good-humored, and I realized that she's just an airhead, right? So I guess no expectations will ever be fulfilled. And now this is, like, almost what Elizabeth is feeling also. Mm, yeah. So I, Elizabeth's just like, I'm never going to believe anything will be perfect again. And if anything, like, this trip to the Lake District, since there's this big flaw that Jane won't be able to attend, that makes it better, because at least now I won't expect it to be perfect, right? That's a pretty grim outlook on on looking forward to things. It's like, well, I'm glad that this upcoming trip is not exactly the way I want it to be, because if it were exactly the way I want it to be, it would inevitably disappoint me. Yeah, by carrying with me one ceaseless source of regret in my sister's absence... I may reasonably hope to have all my expectations of pleasure realized. Yeah, like if I if I set my expectations lower, uh-huh. then maybe there's a chance that it, like what my, then the reality will actually meet those expectations. Exactly. Yeah, a scheme which promises every part, what a scheme of which every part promises delight can never be successful. Right. General disappointment is only warded off by the defense of some little peculiar vexation. Hmm. So the only way to not be totally disappointed is to temper your expectations, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, is to hedge your bets. This is, yeah, this chapter is all about unfulfilled expectations. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you're right, that's true. I feel like the only person whose expectations are being met 100% right now is Lydia. Is Lydia, <laughs> and that's at the cost of the whole family, <laughs> Yeah, <right>? yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope that she is, uh, you know, a queen enthroned in a tent in an army camp right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's being Tenderly fed- flirting, <laughs> yeah. She's being fed grapes by six officers as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then we're going to move forward in time. Uh, when Lydia went away... She promised to write very often and very minutely to her mother and Kitty. But Lydia's letters were always long expected and always very short. Oh, here's here's more about expectation being not fulfilled. Ah, uh, yeah. So Lydia's like, we should, I don't know why anyone would ever believe this. She promises to write very often and very minutely, meaning with great description to both her mother and Kitty. Mm. But they always waited a really long time for Lydia's letters and her letters were always very short. That is so annoying. Like, uh, especially, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I mean, to apply that to like modern day, it's sort of like if you, um, if someone promises to like text you back and then like it takes, they're like a bad texter and they text really short responses. Like, that's, uh, that's annoying. And this is, it's gravely disappointing to Mrs. Bennett because she's trying to vicariously live through Lydia. Yeah. And Lydia's yeah. not giving her any info. <laughs> and it might even be a greater insult to Kitty than to. You know, it would have been insulting to, like, enumerate all the ways I'm having fun to Kitty, because she doesn't get to have any. But it's almost like an even better insult to be like, I'm way too busy to even think of you, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. Those letters that Lydia wrote to her mother contained little else than than, the, than that they were just returned from the library, where such and such officers had attended them, and where she had seen such beautiful ornaments as made her quite wild. That she had a new gown or a new parasol 
which he would have described more fully, but was obliged to leave off in a violent hurry, as Mrs. Forrester called her, and they were going to the camp. So these are her letters. She's like, This is what she's telling Mrs. Bennett. Yeah, I just got back from the library, and there were so many beautiful ornaments that it made me quite wild. And also, I bought a new gown and a new parasol. And then she's like, oh, and now I gotta go because Mrs. Forrester's calling for me and we're going to the camp. Bye. Yeah, we have to leave in a violent hurry. Yeah, I think Lydia is the only person who used that word violent is used in <laughs> reference to. And, and what are these ornaments that she's talking about? I just assumed they were like the like ornaments in... Because remember, a library, as we understand, is not necessarily like a library with books. It's like a place you can go to shop. And sometimes there will be books there, but they're also like going to sell other other trinkets and doodads and i kind of think it's just like i think the when i see when i read that these ornaments are making lydia quite wild i just imagine like the sparkles in her eyes as she sees like all of the pretty shiny things at this library right yeah i think the only thing lydia is telling mrs bennett is these were the officers i talked to these are like the you know products that i saw on display and here are the things i bought right yeah. uh, and i wish i could tell you more about the things that i bought but i gotta go have fun with mrs forrester <laughs> yeah and these are the things that she thinks are important to write about is describing her parasol <laughs> yeah that's what she wishes she could describe more fully <laughs> right uh and from lydia's correspondence with her sister kitty there was still less to be learnt. for her letters to kitty though rather longer were much too full of lines under the words to be made public. Hmm. Well, what does this mean, Grace? So, okay. So, Lydia's letters to Mrs. Bennet are short and not very useful to her. Right, uh-huh. It's like, Mrs. Bennet cannot live vicariously through Lydia by having, like, being told that she bought a new f- parasol. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh-huh. And her letters, but le- her letters to Kitty, though rather longer, not just longer, but though rather longer. Much longer, yeah. yeah uh-huh. Were much too full of lines under the words to be made public. So I-, I do have a note here about lines under the words, but I think lines under the words is meant to be s- interpreted literally. Like, Lydia is underlining basically every single word, I think, for emphasis mm-hmm. to the point where it's almost like almost like illegible like in or like you can't make any sense of it because every other word is underlined and that the only person who could possibly parse out what Lydia's talking about is Kitty well I think like okay I this is uh some speculation so I can't prove this but this is what I assume to be the case anytime we see italics in an Austin novel like since she would have handwritten them originally would have been underlined Mm. so and i think you know usually especially like an italic of a pronoun like him or her or like the italicizing of a name indicates that like there's something something steamy going on here kind of yeah something Uh something unsaid yeah yeah there's there's a special emphasis on this person or name or Mm -hmm. whatever or or town or like an object right yeah so yeah to her letters to kitty there are just so many of these like emphases that it's just it's too steamy even to be read aloud, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. So the base, the general idea is, yeah, there's, this is not information for the family, right? Mm. Even though Lydia tells Kitty more, these kind of, this, these emphases, the, the subtle understanding there is don't tell this to the family, you know, (laughs) this is just for us sisters. Yeah. 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 And then it's like, yeah. And then he appeared today and we both, Mm. and me and Mrs. Forrester dined with him and his friend underline or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And so you, yeah, it's like, these are not meant to be shared with the family. (laughs) Unlike the description of Lydia's parasol. Yeah. So 
So Lydia is promising to write very often and very minutely, but A, the letters that she that can be shared with the family are not written minutely or very often, and B, the letters that actually have a lot of detail in them can't even be shared with the family because it's too raunchy. Yeah, because <laughs> they, they shouldn't really know what Lydia's getting up to, yeah. or Lydia doesn't want them to. Uh-huh. After the first fortnight of three... After the first fortnight, two weeks, or three weeks of her absence, health, good humor, and cheerfulness began to reappear at Longbourn. So after two or three weeks of Lydia's absence, health, good humor, and cheerfulness finally reappear at Longbourn. Meaning Kitty and Mrs. Bennet, like, take it take a chill pill, right? <laughs> they finally, like, exhausted themselves. Uh, everything wore a happier aspect. The families who had been in town for the winter came back. And summer finery and summer engagements arose. So, Remember when they say the families who had been in town, it means they went to London yes. for the winter. So it is actually, it's a little bit of insight into the Bennett's class that they, for whatever reason, probably also from Mr. Bennett's inclination, but I think from a lack of money, they do not go to London to vacation in the summertime. They just hang out in Longbourn. Mm-hmm. And that's why... Oh, I, in the, for the winter time. Oh, for the winter. Yeah, I'm sorry. They don't go to London for the winter time. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they hang out in Longbourn, even while a lot of other genteel families leave to go, you know, do the social season in London. Mm-hmm. And now these families are coming back, and Elizabeth, especially, we can imagine, is thankful because there are more people to dine with, and she's not feeling the lack of officers, right? Yeah. So, yeah, if we want to, like, think about how much time has passed, this is, habit- this is like, three weeks after Elizabeth has come home home so if we remember she was uh, yeah generally generally it's yeah. three weeks after lydia's left oh sorry yeah. well elizabeth came home shortly before that right so if you think about like um elizabeth she came home after easter and maybe like a month or a month and or five weeks have gone by since elizabeth came back so we're well into like june, june? Yeah, yeah i guess so uh-huh. so families are coming back from london and summer finery, like clothing, new new summer fashions, and summer engagements arose. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Bennett was restored to her usual querulous serenity. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Uh huh. Well, I was, Mrs. Bennett's back to normal, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. She's like <laughs> pretty happy, I guess, but also very querulous. That's just how she is. Mm-hmm. Her usual her usual querulous serenity. And by the middle of June, ah, uh, there we are. Oh, there by we the go. middle of June. Kitty was so much recovered as to be able to enter Meryton without tears. My goodness. So now Kitty can finally go back into town and not cry over the lack of officers there. (laughs) And her own slighting, right? (laughs) An event of such happy promise as to make Elizabeth hope that by the following Christmas, Kitty might be tolerably reasonable as not to mention an officer above once a day. (laughs) So Elizabeth is now hopeful that by Christmas... Kitty will be reasonable enough not to mention officer more than once a day, right? Mm-hmm. Unless, by some cool, cruel and malicious arrangement at the war office, another regiment should be quartered <laughs> in Meryton. And then we gotta do this whole thing all over again. Yeah, hopefully by Christmas, Kitty will be reasonable enough again not to, like, just blather about officers all the time. Yeah, God forbid another regiment comes to stay at Meryton. Yeah, unless by some cruel and malicious arrangement <laughs> at the war office, another re- regiment is gonna be stationed there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's sarcastic because, of course, the war office wouldn't decide what town to put officers <laughs> in to, like, punish the young women there. Yeah, but yeah. it kind of is almost like a funny, it's like, 
the you know they're almost like the hands of faith the war office <laughs> these like offstage gods who you know willy-nilly put these soldiers around to create chaos yeah it's like oh we see that elizabeth bennett does not want a regiment staying at meriton let's put another regiment there like, uh, that's 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 the like hilarious joke of it we see that yeah kitty bennett is finally back to normal so let's like <laughs> let's bring some more disturbers of her mind back to town right yep uh you want to keep going for us the time fixed for the beginning of their northern tour was now fast approaching. Who Who's there? Um, Elizabeth and the gardeners. Yeah, yeah. And a fortnight was only, o- and a fortnight only was wanting of it. So like, and now Elizabeth only has to wait two more weeks. Yeah. When a letter arrived from Mrs. Gardner, which at once delayed its commencement and curtailed its extent. Delayed their northern, the commencement of their northern tour. Yeah, and, and curtailed its extent. So, and not only is it going to be farther out, but it's going to be shorter. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gardner would be prevented by business from setting out till a fortnight later in July and must be in London again within a month. And as that left too short a period for them to go so far as to the north mm-hmm. and see so much as they had proposed, or at least to see it with the leisure and comfort they had built on, they were obliged to give up the lakes and substitute a more contracted tour. Yep. So, because Mr. Bar- Gardner has business, um, the tour is going to be pushed out into July, mm-hmm. and it's also just going to be shorter, and also it's not even going to go as far as the north. Yeah, well, he's going to have to come back sooner for business than they anticipated. So they're like, we're not going to have the time to go all the way to the Lake District and see as much as we wanted to in the time that we wanted to see it, right? Or to see it with the leisure and comfort that they had built in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so they had to substitute a more contracted tour. Uh, So now they've come up with a smaller vacation to go on. Yep. And according to the present plan, we're to go no further northward than Derbyshire. Uh-huh. And who do we know lives in Derbyshire? Mr. Darcy, of course. In that county, there was enough to be seen to occupy the chief of their three weeks. And to Mrs. Gardner, it had a particularly strong, sorry, peculiarly strong attraction. I feel like my eyes just make me see particularly. Well, the way they're using peculiarly, it's not like weird and strange. It means particularly. Yeah. Uh-huh. It had a per- peculiarly strong attraction. The town where she had formerly passed some years of her life, and where they were now to spend a few days, was probably as great an object of her curiosity as all the celebrated beauties of Matlock, Chatsworth, Dovetail, or The Peak. And what are all these? Where are all these places? These are all like attractions in Derbyshire. Okay, so very conveniently, Mrs. Gardner spent a long period of her life in Derbyshire, right? Mm-hmm. And she was just as curious to, you know, see her old town again as she was to see all the great sites of the area. Yeah, which was the original plan, which is to see great sites of the lakes. And now we're going to see the great sites of Derbyshire. Oh, and it just so happens that this is where Mrs. Gardner grew up. So Uh now she's just as excited to see her old town. This is definitely a narrative convenience that <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Gardner happened to have spent a long, long part of her youth in the same areas, uh, Darcy. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> we gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. So okay, we're going to Derbyshire. Sorry, I feel like this is like the, this is like the fifth airplane that has like flown up above us. So if you guys hear the airplane noise, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend it's a carriage passing by. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth was excessively disappointed. She had set her heart on seeing the lakes, and still thought there might have been time enough. 
But it was her business to be satisfied, and certainly her tempter to be happy, and all was soon right again. Yep, so <laughs> it's like, true to her word, she tempered her expectations. Mm-hmm. And, um... Here's another expectation unfulfilled, yeah. right? Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, it's full of unfulfilled expectations, this chapter. Um, but yeah, but she, it was her business to be satisfied, and certainly her temper to be happy, and all was soon right again. I really like that phrase, it was her business to be satisfied. It was like, how do you read that? What do you think that's saying? Well, I have a, I have a note in my oh, book. Oh, what's this saying? It just says task or duty. Like, it was her responsibility to be satisfied. Yeah, but I feel like it's kind of like she's wearing it like a universal burden. It is like lizzie's obligation in life just to be satisfied with her circumstances you know to be satisfied with whatever disappointment she's doled out to take yeah, what she can get exactly i mean it's good enough that she even gets a little vacation that's almost mr bennett's it's the business of his life to be satisfied too right mm -hmm. and again we've talked about this in the last chapter it's not in elizabeth's uh, temper to just like harbor over disappointments yeah to like not her, not in her nature to like dwell on sadness on sad stuff and I guess we see that also in Mr. Bennett. It's just that he takes it in the worst possible direction, right? Yeah, yes. It's like instead of like being content with what he's given, he chooses to like mock the things that make him disappointed. It's almost a perversion of being content with what you're given, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be like, I'm going to enjoy it so much because of how absurd it is, yeah, right? It's Yeah, he's definitely way more cynical than Elizabeth. Yeah, it's like a... It's, a coping mechanism yeah definitely it's an ironical detached sort of like making the best of your situation <laughs> like i'm gonna make the best of my situation by just laughing at it yeah okay but anyway elizabeth's like whatever at least i still get to go on a vacation right mm. with the mention of derbyshire there were many ideas connected yeah no shit mm. <laughs> it was impossible for her to see the word without thinking of pemberley and its owner mm. But surely, said she, I may enter his county with impunity and rob it of a few petrified spars without his perceiving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my book says those are minerals, crystallized minerals, petrified yeah. spars. So I guess uh, there's like some... Little, um, souvenirs. Yeah, I guess there's some mineral deposits in Derbyshire. Mm. And I'm like, this is kind of funny. So she's like, yeah, you know, obviously she's, she's thinking of Darcy with the mention of Derbyshire. But she's like... <laughs> I hope I can at least enter his county with uh, impunity, right? Yeah. And find a few uh, geodes and rock formations <laughs> without him finding out, right? Yeah. That... Certainly I haven't been banished from Derbyshire that I can still, you know, take a few pieces of rock with me. Yeah, without Darcy finding out. Like, where do those, <laughs> where do those crystallized spars go, right? Yeah. <laughs> this has Lizzie written all over it. <laughs> the period of expectation was now doubled, meaning the time she had to wait. Yep. Four weeks were to pass away before her uncle and aunt's arrival, but they did pass away, and Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Gardner, with their four children, did at length appear at Longbourn. So the time eventually passed, and here is Mr. and Mrs. Gardner with their children. Yep, so now we're in, like, mid-July. The children, two girls of six and eight years old, and two younger boys, were to be left under the particular care of their cousin Jane, who is the general favorite, and whose steady sense and sweetness of temper exactly adapted her for attending to them in every way. Teaching them, playing with them, and loving them. The children, that is. Mm. Uh, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but when Elizabeth talks about how the only downside to this plan, the previous plan of visiting the lakes, was that the fact that Jane can't come. The, a question I asked when I read that the first time is, wait, why can't Jane can't go with them? And I guess this is the answer. She has to watch the Gardner children, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, um... 
particular care of Jane. Not of Mr. and Mrs. Bennet. No. Of Jane. Of Jane. <laughs> and Mary, not of Mary either, or Kitty, but I feel like they're too young. Yeah. But it's kind of like, it is kind of funny that <laughs> the Gardeners probably don't trust their children with Mr. and Mrs. Bennet alone. Mm. And, yeah, it's unfair that Jane gets saddled with these brats while Elizabeth gets to go on vacation, but it kind of looks like Jane actually likes these kids. I think Jane likes it, and also she just spent the she just spent a lot of time at the gardeners, oh, so yeah. she probably established like a, a rapport with the children. That's right. I remember, remember when a uh, say remember again, <laughs> uh, Elizabeth shows up at the gardeners to pick up Jane. And the children are all, like, looking at her <laughs> through the window, kind of with awe. Yeah. Like, I feel like the children, like, Jane is much closer to the children, and Elizabeth is kind of, like, Elizabeth an was imper- imperious figure. Yeah, yeah uh, Elizabeth was still the cousin that they hadn't seen in a really long time. Jane, like, yeah, to your point, had spent the entire winter with the gardeners in London that she would have formed, like, a deeper connection with the kids. Okay. The gardeners stayed only one night at Longbourn. And set off the next morning with Elizabeth in pursuit of novelty and amusement. It's all we can hope for in life. <laughs> One enjoyment was certain. That of suitableness as companions. So at least one enjoyment is guaranteed, and that is she and the gardeners get along. Mm. They're suitable companions. A suitableness which comprehended health and temper to bear inconveniences, cheerfulness to enhance every pleasure, and infection and intelligence which might supply it among themselves if there were disappointments abroad. So already anticipating disappointments. Uh But the good news is that if there are disappointments abroad, we at least have, we at least are suitable as um, companions. And um, the suitableness comprehends, meaning it includes, right? Yeah, health and temper uh to bear inconveniences. So they were all healthy and of good temper enough to deal with whatever inconveniences arise, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. They all had cheerfulness to make every pleasure better, right? Mm-hmm. To enhance every pleasure. And they all had enough affection and intelligence <laughs> so that they could entertain themselves if, like, their trip was a total bust, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to keep going for us? It is not the object of this work to give a description of Derbyshire, nor of any of the remarkable places through which their route thither lay. Oxford, Blenheim, Warwick, Kenilworth, Birmingham, and etc. are sufficiently known. Okay, what... That's it, a, so yeah, this is a very interesting sentence. Yeah, it is not the object of this work. This work being what? I think the book in our hands. It's not the object of Pride and Prejudice, right? This mm-hmm. is Austin like coming in and talking to us basically directly. Yep. And acknowledging the fact that this is a book. Yeah, yeah. It is not the object, it is not my object in writing Pride and Prejudice to give a description of Derbyshire, right? Nor of any of the remarkable places through which their route thither lay. Or any of the other places that they traveled through. So I'm not here to give you a visual description of Derbyshire or any of these other places that they traveled through, right? Yep. Because they are all sufficiently known. It's like, we already know about uh-huh. them. And yeah, this um, kind of reflects um, what happened in Volume 2, Chapter 4 which is Elizabeth's little, like, monologue about um, how happy she's going to be to see the lakes. Um, She goes, in chapter four, she goes, um, uh, let's see. We we will know where we have gone. We will recollect what we have seen. Lakes, mountains, and rivers shall not be jumbled together in our imaginations, nor when we attempt to describe any particular scene will we begin quarreling about its relative situation. 
let our first effusions be less insupportable than those of the generality of travelers. So I, I just think Austin can't resist a chance to like tweak her contemporary, like other contemporary literature, right? Or like satirize it a little. Yeah. So I think the, what she's satirizing there is like how when people write of locations, oftentimes they're inaccurate and like overblown and also not very interesting, right? Or maybe just wholly inaccurate. Like maybe they'll describe a mountain or a lake that was never actually there. Right. And here she's saying, I'm not going to do that. Like, <laughs> I'm not here to give you... That's Elizabeth saying that like all, you know, most writing about locations is wrong and overblown. Mm -hmm. And here's Austin saying like, I'm not here to give you a description of all these places they pass through. It wasn't enough for Elizabeth to almost act as a mouthpiece of the author to dunk on nature writers. But uh -huh. here it's like, it's not like the narrator has to come in herself and be like, I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do here, which is just to describe everything that Elizabeth and the gardener saw on their trip. Which a lot of her contemporaries would have done. Yeah. Yeah. And you know why? Because we've read all of them already. We know what it's all about. I don't need to provide any more description. If you wanted to read a description of nature, go read another book. Another of the, another of the many other books that have descriptions about nature. <laughs> if you wanted descriptions of Oxford, Blenheim, Warwick, Kenilworth. Birmingham. Yeah, all these places are sufficiently known. <laughs> they would have been known to, like, Austin's contemporaries. Mm -hmm. If you read other English novels from the time. Mm -hmm. And then goes on to say, oh, well, you were reading. Oh, yeah. A small part of Derbyshire is all the present concern. <laughs> So I think this is uh, definitely speaks to Austin, her intentions in writing, which is not to give you long descriptions of places, not to wow you with her own like verbal abilities, but to like tell a story. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I that that is the style that has won out over the years in the course of literature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many how often have we read books and then like the author decides to take a moment to like describe at length like what a mountain or a lake looks like to describe like the beauties of the, their surroundings yeah. right uh, like that's not what we're interested in reading about oh what we care about is a small part of derbyshire right <laughs> we have much more a much more focused scope yeah a small part of derbyshire is all the present concern mm -hmm. to the little town of lambton the scene of mrs gardner's former residence and where she had lately learned that some acquaintance still remained they bent their steps Having, after having seen all the principal wonders of the country. The principal wonders. <laughs> we saw all the main sites, right? Yeah. yeah, so the little town of Lambton is now where they're going, and that's where Mrs. Gardner used to live. Yep. And she still knew some people there. And within five miles of Lambton, Elizabeth found from her aunt that Pemberley was situated. Yeah, so Pemberley is situated within five miles of Lambton, and Elizabeth doesn't find this out until just now. Mm. It was not in their direct road, nor more than a mile or two out of it. So it wasn't it wasn't in their it wasn't en route, mm. but it also is no more than a mile or two out of their way. It's just a short detour. Yeah. In talking over their route the evening before, Mrs. Gardner expressed an inclination to see the place again. Mr. Gardner declared his willingness, and Elizabeth was applied to for her approbation. Or her approval. Yeah. Um just to go back very briefly to this strange, like, uh, narrative interruption from Austin. The only time, other time she's going to do this is at the end of the novel, at the end of volume three. So I think this is a little bit of a signal of, 
you know, in, in stating what's not her intentions, she's signaling to us that some big changes are about to happen. Some real, like, the story is about to get really, like, revved up. Some major events are going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember, and, this is the last chapter of the volume. Yeah, volume and not two. uncoincidentally, the next, the very next thing that comes up is let's go to Pemberley, right? <laughs> hey, let's go check out Pemberley. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Mr. and Mrs. Gardner are both like, I want to see it, and they're like, Elizabeth, don't you want to see it too? Mrs. Gardner says, My love, should not you like to see a place of which you have heard so much, said her aunt, a place too with which so many of your acquaintance are connected. Mr. Wickham passed all his youth there, you know. Mm. Mm. So she doesn't know what Elizabeth knows about Wickham. Right, but she knows that, well, last time they, last time Mrs. Gardner checked, like, Elizabeth was very in favor of Mr. Wickham. Uh-huh. So she's like, yeah, your, your friend, your, your, per, your best friend Wickham grew up here. Don't you want to see it? Mm-hmm. Right, uh-huh. Elizabeth was distressed, yeah, to say the least. She felt that she had no business at Pemberley and was obliged to assume a disinclination for seeing it like to take on right Mm -hmm. what she elizabeth is now like pretending that she just doesn't care to see it yeah she must own that she was tired of great houses after going over so many she really had no pleasure in fine carpets or satin curtains yeah and like grace like you mentioned earlier uh it was not uncommon at the time to take uh take tours of like nice houses Mm. So Elizabeth's like, I've seen enough nice houses. I don't need to see Pemberley. Yeah, I don't want, I'm not going to get any pleasure from fine carpets or satin curtains. But Mrs. Gardner abused her stupidity. (laughs) Her her lack of interest. Yeah, yeah. Stupidity is not quite as harsh a word at that time. It just Uh means like her like lack of interest in seeing Pemberley. And she's not like, (laughs) Mrs. Gardner is like not tongue lashing Elizabeth. (laughs) She is making fun of her, right? She's just kind of like, I can't believe you're not interested. Mm -hmm. If it were merely a fine house, richly furnished, said Mrs. Gardner, I should not care about it myself. But the grounds are delightful. They have some of the finest woods in the country. Hmm. And she knows Elizabeth loves some good nature. Much like her father, she loves the country. That's true. And that was the whole point of the lakes, was to see nature Mm -hmm. on the lakes trip. Elizabeth said no more, but her mind could not acquiesce. The possibility of meeting Mr. Darcy while viewing the place instantly occurred. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> it would be dreadful! Exclamation point. She blushed at the very idea and thought it would be better to speak openly to her aunt than to run such a risk. But against this, there were objections. And she finally resolved that it could be the last resource if her private inquiries as to the absence of the family were unfavorably answered. Okay, so... Elizabeth's like, I'm not going to argue further with Mrs. Gardner because then it's going to start to seem suspicious, right? Mm -hmm. But she still can't get over the idea of how embarrassing it's going to be to meet Mr. Darcy again at his own house (laughs) and decided that she was going to withdraw her objections so that she didn't have to tell her aunt the whole story. Uh, until she could find out whether Mr. Darcy was really going to be at Pemberley or not, right? Yeah, well, she resolved that it would be the last resource. Like, she would tell her aunt the real reason as, like, a last resort um, if Elizabeth's private inquiries as to the absence of the family were unfavorably answered. So she's going to inquire if the family is absent Mm -hmm. and and if the answer is unfavorable to Elizabeth, which is that... No, they are home. Yeah, if Darcy's there. Yeah. Uh, then she'll tell Mrs. Gardner. As a last recourse. Yeah. yeah. But she hopes she doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the Darcy will just not be there, right? Yep. 
Accordingly, when Elizabeth retired at night, she asked the chambermaid whether Pemberley were not a very fine place, what was the name of its proprietor, <laughs> and with no little alarm, whether the family were down for the summer. As if she didn't know who owns it. Well, why do you think she's playing this little game with oh, the chambermaid? Oh, well, she's trying not to, like, reveal anything. She's trying to be a little, like, coy. Like, oh, you know, that Pemberley, is it as nice as they say? Mm -hmm. Who is it? What's the name of the person who lives there again? <laughs> and, like, mm, do you think they're going to be there? Just out of curiosity, right? <laughs> Uh, and all you have to do is read Jane Eyre to know that uh, innkeepers and chambermaids know everything that goes on in their town, right? Yep. That's that's who you go to if you're trying to find out info. Mm -hmm. A most welcome negative followed the last question of whether the Darcy family were in at Pemberley. Yes. So the chambermaid's like, nope, they're not there. And Elizabeth's alarms being now removed, she was at leisure to feel a great deal of curiosity to see the house herself. Hmm. So now... So her yeah. anxiety has been replaced by curiosity. Yeah, now that she knows Darcy isn't there, she can admit that actually she's a little curious to see the house herself. <laughs> and when the subject of visiting Pemberley was revived the next morning, Elizabeth was again applied to... Could oh, And when the subject was revived the next morning and Elizabeth was again applied to, she could readily answer... And with a proper air of indifference, that she had not really any dislike to the scheme. There's a great double negative. And why is Elizabeth saying this double negative here? Why isn't she just saying, I'd like to see it? She's like, I don't have a great dislike to the scheme, right? Well, I mean, to have a positive um, affirmation of wanting to see it would be a little bit too... Um... Maybe a little too revealing. Yeah, she's she's infecting, affecting indifference here, right? Mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, I don't dislike yeah, the sure, scheme. Why not? Uh -huh. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> to Pemberley, therefore, they were to go. And that concludes not only chapter 19, but volume 2. Just looking back at this chapter, Grace, why do you think Austin thought it was necessary to even include this whole scheme of the Lake District and have it fall through? Like, why even, like, create that narrative contrivance? Well, I think, I don't want to use this term, like, realistic, because I, I don't necessarily think that makes or breaks a good plot, but I think it would be a little bit too convenient for, um, for Elizabeth to now suddenly have a trip to Dar Derbyshire, and specifically to Pemberley. Like, there had to have been, like, something else that would lead her to this trip. Like, it would be, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense for Elizabeth to say yes immediately to a trip to Derbyshire. She probably would have come up with another excuse yeah. to avoid this trip. Uh -huh. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, like, if she... The, it, it works better. Like, Elizabeth is not going to just visit Derbyshire of her own volition. Like, if the gardeners were like, hey, come visit Pemberley with us, Elizabeth is going to make an excuse. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she commits to this other trip... And they almost accidentally, like, wind up in Pemberley. That wasn't even their desire when setting out to Derbyshire. No one said anything about visiting Pemberley. That mm. came up when they were there. Right. It has to almost, like, accidentally happen. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, Elizabeth would have gotten out of it, right? Yeah. She is sort of, like, unwillingly being um, dragged to Pemberley. Uh-huh. Yeah, she didn't think that they were going to go to Pemberley even when they set out to Derbyshire. Right. She had it in her mind that I was like, oh, that's where Darcy lives. But, like, whatever. We, like... We're not probably not going to hit Pemberley. And then, lo and behold, oh, Pemberley is just like a few miles away from where Mrs. Gardner used to live. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little detour and visit it. It's almost like there's a fate even more uh, all-powerful all than the war office at hand, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. The fateful hand of coincidence is going <laughs> to lead her to Pemberley. Yeah. So, yeah. Basically, Elizabeth 
RSVP to one thing, and then the the trip turned into another trip, and she had she couldn't say no. Yeah, and then they still so yeah, it happened stanchly wound up at Pemberley, kind of. Yeah, and that's you know that's I feel like the only way to really get Elizabeth to go to Pemberley is without with with like the proper I think like humility mm-hmm. to go to Pemberley. Like I don't think it would make sense for Elizabeth to desire to go visit Pemberley now. She has to sort of be brought there against her will. Yeah, and she doesn't even find out that it's within five miles of Lambton until they're already there. Mm-hmm. Although maybe she should have seen that coming because, you know, Mrs. Gardner, we all know already, knew of the Darcys. Uh-huh. So. Well, you know, then we can get into it even more. Like, there is that part of Elizabeth who wants to see it, you mm-hmm. know. She doesn't want to see Darcy, but she does want to see Pemberley. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, yeah. I, like, if... If she truly wanted to, she could have found a way to not go to Derbyshire with the gardeners. But mm-hmm. it's just, the you know, the, the curious side of her can't resist. Yeah, well, it's like she almost jestingly convinces herself. Like, you know, oh, I really don't want to see Darcy, but, you know, I can go visit his town and grab a rock without him. <laughs> surely without him noticing me, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And now it's like, oh, well, I can go see his house as long as he's not there. What's the problem, right? She mm-hmm. maybe is like kind of justifying it in her own head like let me you know what's wrong with it like it's okay Mm -hmm. if she was like totally against it then i think she would have found a way out maybe yeah because now yeah like of course she would be and i don't know maybe deep deep down she might be hoping to run into him maybe i mean she could have been like when the gardeners first proposed the derbyshire scheme elizabeth could have been like oh no i really don't want to go there i mean i guess that would it would put her in the awkward situation of then she'd have to say why yeah but she doesn't. She doesn't think it's worth the effort. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. So that's that's volume two. That's it. Very portentously ends there. To Pemberley they were to go. Yeah. What uh, a uh, what a cliffhanger to leave off on. Uh, and before we sign off, we have another email yep, from our right. listener. A listener. We love getting emails from mm-hmm. our listeners. Do you want to read this one? Sure. This is from Harriet. Thanks for writing, Harriet. Hi, Harriet. Thank you for listening too. She says, hi, guys. I recently discovered your podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. Aw, thanks for listening. Yeah. I'm currently listening to Chapter 22, and Elizabeth is just about to find out about the Charlotte Collins proposal. Yuck. We all feel (laughs) that same way. It's been a few years since I last read Austin. Persuasion was on my reading list at uni. Genuinely one of the high points of the whole three years. <laughs> uh-huh. So this has been a great fun. Oh, we also love Persuasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Persuasion. I've never owned an annotated edition, so it's interesting and useful when you guys reference yours. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with my edition. Um, it provides a lot of context, not only for, like, what words, certain words might have meant. Like, for example, like, we now know peculiarly meant pretty much particularly. Um, but also, like, just with the... This, the old, like those relatively old fashioned syntax, it helps sort of clarify what is being said. Definitely. Shout out Anchor Books. Yeah. Uh, and also, a lot of words have changed meanings over time, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harriet goes on to say I don't know if you've heard, still got quite a few episodes to catch up on, but there has recently been a one man play about Mr. Wickham, and it's supposed to have been excellent. And he was played by Adrian Lucas, who was Wickham in the 1995 series. You can access it online, worldwide, up until 11th August, August 11th, as we say it here in the States. (laughs) It costs 20 pounds, so I thought I'd let you guys know, just in case you haven't seen it advertised. Ooh, and it's from, it says it's the original theater online production. Nice. 
Uh, and then Harriet signs off. I hope you were both well, Harriet. P.S. I don't know if you were still doing the alt title for Jane Bingley, but how about genes and geniality? Mm. Because their relationship is defined by his heritage and their or heritage that. and good nature. Mm, that's I like a, that. That's a good one. And alliterative. Yeah, genes and geniality. Ooh, good, good I suggestion. If, I don't know if genes were... I don't know. Do, pe- do people do know people about talk genetics? About genes? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Nevertheless, I still appreciate the. Not only is it alliterative, but they both use the same G, the soft G. Oh, and there's some assonance going on too. Oh yeah, you're right. Nice. Great. Thank you, Harriet, and thank you for bringing that to our attention. I would love to see a Mr. Wickham one man play. He is such an interesting character. Yeah, it's like what has he got to say for his life? You know, a one man play about him like recounting his entire life like is it just going to be more of the same of um of him bemoaning his woes and being slighted and being abused by mr darcy i feel like we would be put in elizabeth's shoes like yeah. he would be like trying to seduce us with his stories about mr darcy right mm-hmm. and also uh we just talked about in the last chapter about wickham's like his mask and <laughs> you know seeing like breaks in the persona yeah uh, I have no doubt that the actor would do a really good job. He does a good job in the 95 miniseries. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. And thank you so much for writing, Harriet. We really appreciate your listening. Yeah, thank you so much for keeping with us. And thinking of us. Mm -hmm. And for participating in our our little game. To anyone else, yeah, send us in your thoughts and suggestions about... uh, Jane and Bingley, possible titles for that. Or if you can think of possible titles for any other two combination of characters, send them in as well. Yeah, maybe like a Charlotte Collins. Or what would like the Bennett, the Mr. and Mrs. Bennett (laughs) book be called, right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, so until volume three. Chapter one. I'm Grace. I'm Tom. Bye.